Welcome to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge designed to educate, inspire, and connect the subscription commerce space. On this episode, we're talking with Tom Shaham, lead engineer of Catkin, a personalized vet-formulated cat food company. We dive into the journey of founders going door-to-door selling their cat food in London to a thriving D2C business with a loyal fan base. We also chat about how Catkin uses educational content to engage with their customers, the effectiveness of using a simple onboarding quiz, and their focus on retention as a foundation to ensure long-term success. So let's get started. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Chase. Give me a little bit of info on yourself and also about Catkin as a brand. So I'm Tom, I'm a lead software engineer here at Catkin. Um, I joined about a year and a bit ago. Um, so yeah, I come from a background of sort of back, back-end software engineering, um, but always been really interested in startups um, and I love kind of contributing to the product and the vision and um, all that kind of stuff that I know not, it's not for everyone. But um, yeah, so I joined about a year and a bit ago, like I say, and um, kind of, uh, there were only about five of us back then when I joined and now we're about 40 people. It's a huge growth story, I love it. What's, what is Catkin as a brand? I know it's, uh, it's very cat focused. Yeah, it's often uh, people say Kit Kat by accident. But um, yeah, so Catkin is uh, kind of, I suppose, in a, in a sentence, um, healthy food for cats, uh, fresh food. It's frozen fresh, which is uh, something we're trying to push as an idea. Um, so fresh, you have to freeze it. Um, but it is essentially human food for cats because cats, generally cat food's not that healthy for cats. So we're trying to give cats their best nine lives. <laughs> so this is this is a super interesting kind of product market fit story from my end, I think, because it's it's interesting that you're marketing as human food for cats, which seems to be kind of the trend. You know, everybody's you know moving towards this health trend and everyone's trying to, you know, obviously give their pets as, as healthy food as possible. But getting it from the freezer section at a grocery store seems a little difficult. It seems kind of like it's it's the wrong place that it should be housed, but I guess that's where it is. So what's how how did you guys figure out like the product market fit that this is actually, you know, a, a product that's needed in the market? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I think we're not actually allowed to say that it's human quality food anymore. Um uh, but that's fair. Uh, <laughs> it is made from kind of the byproducts of food that humans would eat. So in that sense, it's sustainable um, because it's the things that would go to waste anyway. Um, but it's also it's much higher quality than kind of what that is traditionally thought of. I suppose the image that people have of kind of um, uh, you know what make goes into a sausage or like offal or, or something worse than that. So sure. it is actually quite high quality, especially by cat hand, cat standards. Um, but and to your point. Um, you know, how do we how do we have a kind of frozen product and how do we find a need for that? Um, I think there is an ongoing, there's a kind of broad market trend of uh, like premiumization inside of pet food generally. So actually the food that we feed our pets, it was, it's the same kind of sort of food that was invented initially in the Victorian era, kind of like 1850s. It's basically, you know, tinned, meat and carbohydrates like filler stuff 
so Interesting. That, you know, your, your dog doesn't starve basically um but it's, it's it hasn't changed in over you know it didn't change for probably a hundred years between 1850 and 1950 and, and wow. since then it, even then i think you know only just some supplements of like vitamins and minerals so so like i say the broader trend is around this kind of the pet is all part of the family it's a, like a loved animal it deserves to be treated like a like a child or a sibling and um and so i think um you know, the, when when our founders Brett and Nikki went out to kind of explore the uptake of this of this, this, our product and you know whether it would be popular, um, you know that was their vision. And when they were knocking door to door for people to try this out in in North London, um, like it was really really well received for for that kind of for that reason. They were literally literally knocking door to door, not a figure of speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they. I mean, Brett said that it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do. So like spend <laughs> 12 hours a day on your feet, trying to get through as many houses as you can. Trying to sell frozen cat food. I guess that definitely seems like it'd be a difficult thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just energy wise, if they're nothing else. So then how do you, how do you kind of convince people that there's a problem in the first place? Cause I think a lot of what you said is, you know, the, there's a movement going towards this healthy pet food trend kind of thing. But at the same time, there's still a lot of people who are perfectly content just doing wet food, dry food, and just letting their cats kind of, you know, run through their nine lives, as you said. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the people I speak to, I can almost immediately tell whether or not they have a cat because most people uh, will be immediately dismissive. And they'll say, oh, no, I had a cat and they were, they lived to be 16 and they were fine. Um, so... Yeah, I think that the difficult thing there is differentiating between um, where 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 your customers don't see there is an issue anyway. They think, oh, I'm buying cat food, my cat eats it, kind of end of story. There must be right. some sort of basic requirement. And there, there are basic requirements. So, you know, uh, cat food legally has to have a certain percentage of meat content. It has to be able to sustain life. You have to be able to live on it. Right. as a cat but um but that's that you know that's kind of where it ends and i think that's where the education piece needs to come in that um it's sort of the equivalent of you know living on ready meals your whole life it's like yeah you're not going to die but you know you're not going to be an athlete either so <laughs> you know do 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 you want to be really healthy do you want to feel like you have energy all the time and i think um you know what we've seen with our with our food is that um cats cats well main things are the their cat cat owners or cat parents uh will um you know notice that their cats have much shinier coats that their 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 stools don't smell um you know they're much more energetic and happy they kind of exhibit this kitten like behavior again that um you know um uh they're playing with things and and i think that they they're less prone to kind of going out hunting where they're trying to find the substitute food that they're not getting from their right. kind of tinned food. Um, so, so I suppose that's, that's the difficult thing is we need to sh like tell people that you might be happy with what you've got because you don't really necessarily see what's missing, but Hey, there's this whole thing missing, you know, you could have a cat that's like this. It's so funny. I, uh, just from a personal side, you talk about like, 
how, you know, this is going to keep you alive, but you know, you're not necessarily going to be an athlete. I just, I I'm such a big person in the fitness world that it's, you know, you, you relate this to, to a human food, like, yeah, you can eat frozen TV dinners your whole life, but it's not really going to sustain you long-term. It's not going to be healthy for you. So that's kind of, you know, we're not talking that you need to be able to deadlift a thousand pounds, but at the same time, like maybe there's a middle ground somewhere that you can kind of boost your cat's life. You can make sure that this is something that's going to be long-term sustainable for them. And although, you know, the, the timeline of a cat being alive may still be 16 years, there's a lot of other benefits in there that you may be missing out on because of the, the food that you're feeding. Mm -hmm. So you said that's kind of where the, the content comes in. What, what type of content do you try to provide um, to potential buyers, to existing buyers? How do you kind of get that message through without forcing it and making it sound salesy? Mm. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's a really good question. I think, you know, the two the two major things off the top of my head, and this isn't my sort of area of expertise, but um, more on the in the technical detail, but um, we, you know, we our adverts very much focus on those benefits that they're they're gonna bring to you and your and your cat. Um, we try to have kind of uh, user generated content um, that people submit of their cats kind of you know, clawing at the food, desperate to kind of have our food um, or uh, being kind of playful and happy and content. Um, so I think those, those kind of help with, you know, prospective customers who may know nothing. I suppose to a large extent, you need to appeal in that regards, um, you know, to, to, to emotion. And, and so it does need to be less educational and more kind of, hey, your cat's going to love it. Um, but then we have this whole educational piece. So we have a community um, and the community is genuinely just people who are cat lovers and they really want the best for cats. Um, and I think that that is anyway the best way to approach it. So, um, you know, you don't you don't need to be calculated or anything. You just, you know, we have a we have a vet on board who works full time with us and we uh, do educational content every week we do a, a kind of um like a live stream of you know i don't know 10 things you didn't know about the way your cat you know thinks or uh, just things that um you know vets might know um hey, better quality of life questions and and better ways to kind of be more in touch with your with your cat yeah exactly or um or just i mean there's just so much that uh, cat owners don't know or you know I, I didn't know anything about cats when I joined for example that they they're obligate carnivals which means they have to eat meat all of their they've evolved to um, extract all of their nutrition from meat and protein which you can imagine makes sort of sense if you live in a savanna and you're hunting gazelle but um, <laughs> you know uh, you can't they can't not eat meat which you know I think there's for example, there's this kind of subculture around, you know, vegan cats and things, which just doesn't make any scientific sense. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot out there, which is, is very hard to come by information. So, so I suppose that's another, another thing we do is we have communities, we have Facebook community, we have Instagram and, you know, all of those social channels, but we're trying to put out content that's genuinely like unique and interesting and educational that doesn't have any kind of like, hey, you have to buy our food, but it's just, you know, here's some things that are going to help you. 
Totally. I'm, I'm picturing uh, the internet of cats and them running through savannas, trying to, to tackle gazelles and try to get their, their meat through there. And it's, it's an interesting picture in my head. <laughs> I'm sure you have the, the world of marketing opportunities when you're talking through cats and, and internet uh, advertising for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is funny because you can, you can look at it in two ways, I suppose. Like on the one hand, we have this huge opportunity of, I mean, everyone loves cats. The internet is made of cats. Like you can just put cats out there and surely everyone's going to watch our cat videos. But on the other hand, you're kind of competing with Joe Blogs for space on the internet just to right. show a cat because they're kind of, they're probably bored of cats by the time they come to your cat video. <laughs> totally. It's an interesting balance. There's a ton of opportunity, but it's also super saturated at the same time. So it's, it's finding the balance in there. And especially if you're trying to drive value you know, the first thing people think of when they see a cat video is like, this is just going to be funny. I'm just going to enjoy this. And if there's that kind of transition to education or content or even a product in there, there's definitely a balance in trying to figure out how your consumers will, will kind of take that in. Mm -hmm. um, I want to get back to having a vet on staff. Um, I think you brought that up really, really smoothly and then kind of transitioned right over that. Um, that's the first time I've ever seen something like this hosted in like inside an actual company. Do you have a vet on your actual team full-time. They do live streams, they do tips and advice. They're, they're putting up videos all the time. It's definitely a, a piece of content for sure, but do you feel like that, that piece is kind of taking you over the edge of like, we're not just here to sell this thing. We're actually here to provide value and like tell you why this is such a, an ingenious product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and also, you know, it's, it's to make sure that we are living those those values that we hope we're hoping we you know you build a product and you you might have a certain idea that it's going to do this and it's going to solve that problem but you know it's quite easy to to compromise and think oh well this is why you know this is close enough or um oh we don't have the money for this and so on so you know you definitely we definitely need people in the know on the team and and he is you know grant dr grant is one of them um, and it, it makes sure that, you know, if we're going to do an upsell or an add-on, or we're going to partner with this company or that company, you know, that actually you're living those brand values because people like Grant actually know, you know, is that the right thing to do? Is that the best thing for your cat? And that's what we're always, you know, trying. That's the lens through which we're trying to view everything we do. And this is super unique. I think this is such an important point. So I'm, I'm kind of double tapping on this, sitting on this for a while, but this is, this is kind of the point of the whole D2C movement is that if you wanted to just go buy cat food, you could just buy it online somewhere or you could go to a grocery store and just buy whatever wet or dry food you want. But creating this community, for one, having someone like a vet on staff that can really double down on these actual you know, core values of the company is huge. Being able to produce a product that someone will stand behind, like these are all things that, that make up true D2C brands and, and true value brands. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, I know a lot of brands around the world are doing this, but it's, you know, when you actually get to dig into details and figure out how you're kind of building a company and who's on staff, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. It's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. So let's get back into your, uh, your area of expertise. Um, I want to hop into the website a little bit and talk through kind of how your website is your main acquisition channel. Um, so you do have an onboarding quiz on the site. I'm a huge onboarding quiz fan. Talk me through kind of the logic of setting it up because I know it's, it's longer than most usual quizzes would be. So I'm curious mm. kind of what, what data you have behind that and how you built that in the first place. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So we, yeah, so for context, um, the history is, um, when I joined, it already exists. We had something of a website built by a number of agencies um, and it was mostly not working. So actually the first thing I did when I, I think the first month or two that I was here, I, I closed out about a hundred different bugs. Um, so we, the sign up flow, um, you know, it was initially designed around, do you have one cat, two cat, three cat, four cat? And uh, if you if you said that you have two cats, you have to kind of fill in both of their information the whole way through as you go along. And each screen is quite long, and um, you know a whole number of things can go wrong on any single screen. And it's just the cognitive load. You know, in general, you're trying to minimise what is required for a customer who has a limited amount of patience anyway. Right. Um, so so I think we we re, we rethought it and and actually. One of the driving factors was that, um, you know, we knew that 30% um, of households who have cats have two cats or more. But in, our, in terms of the actual customers we had, active customers, only 10% of them had two cats or more. So we knew that we were indexing into single cat households. And I think, okay. um, you know, that's because it's a premium product as well. So, you know, you can spend 50 pounds a month, but are you going to spend a hundred pounds a month? You know, it's actually quite a big difference. So it tends to stack pretty quickly. Exactly. So, so that actually drove us to think, well, it'd actually be really handy if you told us you had two cats, but you only had to check out for one of them. So then that drove us down this initial kind of thinking of, well, why, why don't we just check out one at a time? And if at, if at the very end they're happy to add their second cat because they had such a pleasant experience, then they can add the second one. But let's not force people to spend you know twice as much money because there's there's no way they're going to go back to the start and delete a cat. Like no one's got patience for that. Right. So so from there we then we kind of actually went down this route and we saw that it performed a lot better um, to show people one screen at a time or just ask them one question at a time. Um, so we we. One of the big challenges we've had is around tracking and making sure that you know we really trust our data and that the the funnel kind of visualization in the sign up funnel is um accurate and we can say oh people are dropping off at this point this is where they're having difficulty um and once we had that you could see that this kind of approach of what asking one question at a time just um massively reduced drop off people are much happier to to kind of just think about one thing at a time. And also um, most of our users were mobile users and, and you really don't want a busy screen. You don't want to have to scroll. You know, ideally the call to action kind of continue button, et cetera, is just sticky at the bottom. So you don't have to think, where is it? And so there, you know, then you only left with a little bit of screen left really. So, so in that regard, it's, I think it was really, really good um, to ask one question at a time, just in terms of real estate. Um, and so, yeah, so it seems really long, but actually, if you, if you kind of think about it in terms of cognitive load, it's, it's much smaller or shorter. So you're kind of taking the approach that once you start down this path and once you've hit continue once or twice, psychologically, the, the customer feels like they're already invested in this and they're, they're already getting the data that they want. So you might as well just kind of keep continuing as opposed to one page that maybe has 10 questions on it and you hit one to two to three and you go, Oh my God, this thing's long. I'm out. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So it feels a little bit longer up front, but it's, it's in essence kind of the same, 
same duration of time they're going to spend on it. And then the trade-off is on your side, you can actually get the data and you can index it one by one by one. So if people do start falling off at, you know, question four per se, you can be able to go back to that and say, okay, maybe four is maybe not very relevant. Maybe that's too long of a quiz and you can kind of tweak it from there. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, you know, that's such a good point because um, really the, the challenge is, is, is endless. You know, you can, you can optimize it as, 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 much as you possibly want. Um, and I think the next, you know, for as long as this business exists, there'll be a team of people thinking about squeezing another 0.1% out of different parts of the sign-up process. It's only going to be 100%. more relevant. Yeah. hundred percent. There will always be people trying to get 0.1%, much less than 1% of, of improvement. You're right. Exactly. So by, by having each question separate is much clearer to you. OKP okay, will have an issue at this point. Whereas if you had an just kind of, you know, when you're filling out an insurance form, you think, oh my God, look at, you know, all this stuff I have to do. It's quite actually hard to know from a technical point of view, what is it that put them off? Was it seeing all of these things? Was it this for this part of the form that they didn't fill in? It's just a bit more, that's more of a technical challenge. So it's just simpler all round. I just did a new insurance application and it is a nightmare. I can, I can vouch for that. There's just so much going on on one page. But yeah, you're right. If you leave, you look back and the company says, okay, we know they left, but why? And there could be any number of 15 reasons why. Exactly. Interesting. So we've, we've talked a little bit about D2C. Um, I know that obviously you are a subscription D2C model. Um, you talked a little bit in the past about how, if that is your model, you want to show really good retention. Um, seems like you pretty you have a pretty good understanding that like the acquisition retention balance in a subscription world it's obviously more about retention. Talk a little bit more uh, about that. Uh, we we've looked through kind of your onboarding flow for acquisition. How does your retention strategy work? Yeah. So in terms of my history at Katkin, that's the first thing we looked to fix was uh, retention. And uh, actually, acquisition was so good in the early days that we didn't worry about it at all. Um, but the last few months we focus more on acquisition. But in terms of in terms of retention, I think the thing that joins the two is um, sort of LTV CAC. Um, so lifetime value of the customer versus the cost to acquire them. And I think that's that is something that we have also put in work to be able to track and chart. Because one thing that's really, really nice to do is say, okay, we're gonna run this advertisement. Um, and you might look in isolation at the ad and think, great, we acquired a bunch of customers. That's awesome. This ad really works. But actually, we've seen in the past that it, it, it might attract a certain kind of customer that doesn't have a good lifetime value. They might think, oh, wow, this food, uh, it, it tastes so good. Like, and then they, 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 they try it and they realize not all cats think it tastes so good. And, and so maybe brought in loads of customers that just think it's going to taste really good. So I think you know you have to kind of join join the, the two up so they live together and that's LTV CAC. So that's one thing we look at and and a good example of how we use that to reverse a decision recently was that we put out a really good offer in terms of price, and we acquired a whole load of kind of low quality, low intent customers, um, and we thought, oh, this is great, you know, with this ad, this ad's performing really well, but um, you know, as soon as you look at month one, month two they're kind of out the door again because they're not willing to to pay the the money. So you get the discount on the first order, but then that second and third come in and they think, oh, I bought this because it's cheaper, but now it's not cheaper. So then they kind of leave. Exactly. 
So, so really, you know, what we were told when we started was, in terms of building a DTC business, you really need to fix retention kind of first, because in, as an investor, if you're going to put money into this kind of bucket, you don't want it to leak so much. You kind of want to know for every pound I put in, I get like, you know, one pound 10 out or, or whatever it is, probably something more exciting than that. But, um, you know, so, so the first thing is to fix retention. So that mean, means for us, you know, making sure the experience is good, making sure that um, it's flexible, easy to kind of manage your subscription. Um, and then, uh, well, a whole bunch of things really, but a kind of deep dive into why customers are canceling. And a thing that was really useful for us there was um, when people cancel, when uh, they're catching subscription, they can say, for what reason? And, and then we did a deep dive into, I think we probably spoke to a few hundred customers in the early days and we deep dived into each one of these reasons and kind of basically came up with a, a bunch of strategies that would address, you know, from, from the biggest impact down to what we thought was the lowest impact in that order and uh, sort of solve these problems for the customer um, so that we could improve retention before moving our focus to acquisition. But I think that seems like, I mean, every business has has their own unique way of going about it, but especially for a subscription model, that seems like a, a very solid way to go because you're, you're really looking for quality customers. You're not looking for a quantity of customers because if you can get 10 of them and if you can retain nine of them, that's almost more impressive than, than just acquiring, let's say 20 or 30 customers, but losing them all on month one or two. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a much more um, exciting offer to investors, you know, to kind of, it's, I think it's the thing that everyone, it's, a, it's the classic piece of advice about startups, isn't it? Build a product everyone loves, like fix the product, make the product great, then worry about everything else. And I think, right. you know, it's, it's really true for D2C and kind of subscription businesses. It's so true because once once that's fixed, it's just like, great, we just put money at the top of the funnel and it, and it stays in the bottom. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's any number of metaphors you could use. You know, if you're going to build a bike, you know, you have to make sure the bike works and the chains work and the tires are inflated and everything's working harmoniously. And then once you're confident in that, you just get on the bike and ride it. Then it's just yeah, a matter yeah. of, you know, pouring money into ads and, you know, diversifying in different ways and making sure that the right content gets in front of the right people. And that seems to be the easy part, but like fixing the actual engine is what is the really important part, but it often gets overlooked because it's not the sexy, it's not the fun piece of it. Exactly, exactly. It's the hard yards. And I know that you, you talked about... Um, kind of surveying your customers as they leave. I know you also do an NPS survey fairly frequently. I think you do every two weeks and then you do three, six and nine months. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And what are, what are things you try to get from that? Just do you look for feedback? Do you just look for positive reviews? What, what are some of the things you try to get out of that? Yeah. So we, we track the uh, kind of what it, that customers are positive and negative about. And, and, and that's really useful because we, we're also constantly evolving our recipes. Um, so we have a, a, a nutritionist um, on board who is constantly trying to look at ways of making our, our recipes healthier. Um, so if we track NPS scores and specifically what customers are not happy about or are happy about, we can see, oh, we introduced this new recipe and suddenly like positive sentiment about the quality of the food has gone up or, mm -hmm. you know, or, um, you know, one of the things we see is packaging. And that's a really hard thing for us to change, but we have, it's kind of, as soon as it's, 
more easy for us to change we're going to do it because we can see how many people like care about it so um so so we're also interested in the score so we have a target of 70 uh, which i think is really high and i think um it it, it tracks around 60 or 60 ish 60 to 70 for customers at 16 days um but then it goes up a lot to sort of 70 80 90 for at the three month six month and nine month period and i think you know that's such a great thing that customers see the value even more so as they continue with the product because in the long term they just you know their cat's healthier and healthier and like um you know those benefits kind of wash through in a sense and they can see that their their cats are are different and this goes back to your whole idea of ltv to cost of acquisition ratio which is that if you can prove that you know there, there's always a handful of, of customers who will be satisfied or unsatisfied in those first two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a month or two. But if you can prove to investors partially, but mostly to the company itself, you can prove that after three, six, nine months, these customers are still sticking around and you have that really strong community that you're building. It's a no brainer. You know, you, you target the right customers. You make sure you onboard in the right way. The education's there. You make sure you have your nutritionist and your vet on staff all the time, making sure that all of this is working smoothly. By the time they get to three months, they're locked and they're a customer for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're making this sound a lot easier than it actually is, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the hard thing is, is, is kind of when you're starting from an unknown place, and you, you, you don't know what you don't know, and it's kind of hard to move in a direction. I think it's, it's definitely really good to start by you know, speaking to customers and, and figuring out what it is that doesn't work for them. Totally. And I think that's one of the cool things about what you and, and what Katkin is doing is that everything's data backed. You know, you have, you're tracking the data from uh, your onboarding quiz. You're tracking the data from why people are canceling. You're tracking this NPS feedback on, on customer surveys. So it's, it's definitely the right way to go about it. It sounds like you guys are getting a lot of data. It sounds like it's, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. A couple closing questions for you about subscriptions in general. Seems like you guys have definitely grown to a point that's that's pretty impressive from, from a net zero. What advice would you give to a subscription brand who's just getting off the ground, trying to trying to understand the subscription uh, economy? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I guess it depends a lot on what the product is. Um, and I think the things that we've talked about already really do hold true i don't just want to say them again but you know try and figure out what it is about the product that's going to satisfy your customers um that's really hard if you don't have many customers i suppose get out there and try and get some to begin with but once you have some like try and iterate and learn i think in that regard one thing that i was almost going to bring up about um you know this this um, exploring exploring stages that you need to um, you've only got so many things you can do I think so prioritization is you know it's actually something we really struggled with and it almost became like a bad word because we wanted to say that you know everything's important but it, you just have to it's the really difficult conversation to have people are gonna not be able to do the things they wanted but you have to prioritize things. Um, because you can only do so many things at once. Um, and it's, it's almost a bit like the, the kind of cognitive load theory behind the sign up flow. You know, there's only so many things you can fit in your head at one time. So anything that you can, you know, put down the list, that's great. That gives you more time to worry about those super important things. Um, I think 
um, you know, this also gets harder to kind of change direction later on. So um, the more kind of the more kind of data and research you can do to sort of point in the right direction, you know, it's the, it's, it's really gonna it's gonna pay off hugely because you can't. It's very hard to pivot kind of a year into something you've already built. Um, right. So I think uh, yeah, do, do do some research and do like really think about you know the product and it's all the, the classic things we've been saying. Think about the product. What, you know, is your customer gonna um, what, what is it they don't like about it? And I think I think the, the deep dive we did into cancellation reasons was uh, hugely beneficial in that regard. Interesting. Uh, Would you recommend going door to door and knocking on people's houses in person? If you if you're up for it, I think you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't do it personally, but um, I suppose you know it gives you that opportunity, right, to to sell something properly to someone. Absolutely, um, and we've we've actually often joked uh, when our acquisition's been difficult that we're just going to go to the park and set up a stool, and and there is something there, right? Because you actually can do the sales pitch that I'm doing now. I can say, you know, there's there's this, that, and the other, and you know that you can't always get that across in an ad, and people take think it's you know it's far more genuine. So um, maybe, yeah, try it. It's not a bad idea. We'll have to we'll have to circle back on this about a year later and figure out if you guys ever went to a park and see if you can do an in-person sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so let's flip the script here then. So what's a, a good piece of advice you'd give to a brand who's off the ground, they have their product, everything fits well, they're just trying to scale past this 10,000, maybe 100,000 subscriber mark? Well, I don't think we, we haven't hit 10,000 yet, so <laughs> I'd be giving the advice to myself. Um, well, what's worked really well for us, um, I think, like you say, being data-driven um, is super important. Um, we, we run a lot of A-B tests now, and you'll be constantly surprised by how things don't work out the way you thought they did. Um, and I think that's also a really useful technique for just settling any internal debates you might have. I think every company I've been with, you know, the struggle is always there's only a limited number of things you can do and tends to be the squeaky wheel who gets the oil, you know, and I think yep. the AB test kind of conversation just gives everyone a little bit more of an equal footing. You can say, well, okay, we'll try it, but we're going to test it. And if it doesn't work, we're going to roll it back or, you know, we're going to have to rethink it. Um, I think that can be quite helpful, although it is also a trap. So, you know, you have to make sure you're running them properly. You have to make sure you have enough traffic. Otherwise, you're just going to be running them for, you know, for a long time. So it's not a silver bullet. You kind of have to know a bit about what you're doing. Um, oh, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's it's great advice that you obviously should be A-B testing and not just take your own internal biases. But at the same time, there are some tricks and there are some things that could kind of get you on some A-B tests. So no, that makes, makes a lot of sense. I'm interested to hear last question for you. What are some physical products that you subscribe to? <laughs> um, I used to get Huel a long time ago when I didn't think it was so popular. Um, I don't, do you know what Huel is? Oh yeah, Huel's so, exploded. Huel's all over the place. Oh really? Okay, yeah. I remember back then asking if I could be like an ambassador for them and they just said no. So I think maybe, <laughs> maybe they were already really popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh, I, I don't get that anymore. Um, I think I've used uh, patch plants occasionally. I'm not a subscriber, but I really like um, just having plants delivered to your door. It's just a really nice thing to come home to. Um, but um, I don't I don't have any kind of long-standing subscriptions. Um, if, you're like me, like... you, if you're like me, you probably kill all the plants that you have, so you need the new ones to be delivered to your door <laughs> frequently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always a kind of a hope of how long is this one going to last. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Tom, thank you so much. I think this was awesome to talk to you about CatCan and about all the data you guys have, a lot of the decisions you're making. So thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We'd like to thank Tom once again for joining us. If you're interested in Catkin, you can head over to catkin.club. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.